Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Chaplain Dan Braswell. So glad to be here sharing God's Word with you. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, as we look at this subject, how to train for the songs of eternity. How to train for the songs of eternity. Go ahead and be turning uh, to Revelation chapter 5. I hope you're having a good, uh, for those of you who are having a four-day, God bless you. I hope it's uh, going well. I remember when I was a really young uh, youth uh, minister in a church, we had an interim pastor. He was an older gentleman. And every time on, it was a church that had Sunday morning and Sunday night services. And on those long holiday weekends, our church had a lot of, of government uh, employees who had, who had those Mondays off and those kind of things. And, and he would come up to the crowd that was way you know, smaller in number than others. And he would say, y'all are my kind of people. Y'all couldn't afford to get out of town either. Well, with us, we're all kind of here on the island together. So I'm so glad you're here uh, to worship the Lord this morning. As we continue our series on Chapel 101, last week Chaplain Burris shared with us principles about giving. Today we're going to be talking about worship, and our main text this morning is going to be a scene of worship that John the Apostle had the privilege to view in a vision on the island of Patmos as he was exiled there for his faith. As I thought about this passage and I thought about this subject, I reflected a little bit on my own life And I tried to do a little math to see how many worship services I've been a part of. And here's how I've defined it. I defined it as, of course, Sunday morning. If I grew up in a church, as as I did, and if I was at a church that had Sunday night services, I tried to count up how many of those I attended, and then how many extra what we would consider a worship service where they're singing and praying and preaching going on. To the best I can tell, at 43 years old, I have attended over 4,300 worship services. Maybe some of y'all are the same way. Maybe some of you probably have that beat. And then I said, well, let me think through this. Of those 4,300, give or take, I'm sure several hundred, however it works out, how many of those did I actively play a role in leadership? And I define that as preaching, but also leading worship. I've done a lot of leading worship in my background, and I've had just a privilege and a joy to to be with our team here leading worship and and, and helping us uh, sing together. As I thought through how many times I've led worship or played an instrument or preached or those kind of things, the best I could tell, I've been involved in 2,000 of those occasions. The best I can tell. It's hard, it's hard to keep up. But as I thought about that, I thought about my childhood, and I can still remember the church that I grew up in. What I really remember is sitting sort of on the front row with a cousin of mine and usually getting in trouble during worship service, and they'd take me out, give me a spanking, and straighten me back up, and I'd come back in. I know none of y'all probably ever had anything like that, but that's how they did it back in my day in South Carolina when you acted up in church. So I had to learn how to self-soothe, and of course, as a a young person, I wasn't totally engaged in every sermon I ever heard, or certainly every song I ever sang. And I remember, if you can envision, in the church I grew up in, like a lot of churches that were built in the 50s, Paneling was the thing. Remember paneling? It's that cheap stuff. It's about a quarter inch thick. No, it's even thinner than that, I think. And the whole back of the church was done with paneling. And, of course, if you know paneling, they kind of make it look like wood. So it has those little lines in it. Every Sunday in church, I'll kind of demonstrate it for you. I'd sit on the front row, and I'd sit there and count them paneling lines from left to right. And that took me five minutes or so. 
And then over here, I'd count from right to left, and I'd be counting those paneling lines, because that was how I kind of kind of killed time during church, because I, I had to do something to occupy my time. I hope that doesn't happen to anybody today, but probably it will, right? Our, our minds wander very easily. And growing up as a child, I also remember that I did not like to sing, believe it or not. For those of you who've been here every week, you've seen us uh, lead worship, my wife and I, we love doing it, but I, I didn't like to sing. But I hope today we can learn a little bit about worship and about singing and, and all those things. And Revelation 5 is going to be our main passage we're going to look at. But before we look at that, I want to share with you just a quick overview of a couple of places in Scripture where it talks about singing. And you don't need to turn there. If you want to, if you want to write, if you're taking notes, if you want to write the references down, um, I'll, I'll share them with you very quickly. Just as a couple of examples of where music and worship kind of pops up in the, in the Scriptures. So if you think about 1 Chronicles 23, again, don't turn there, but it says there that there were 38,000 people serving in the temple during that day. 4,000 of them were in the music department, so to speak, as singers and instrumentalists. If you go back to Exodus 15, apparently Moses' uh, sister Miriam, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I ran across it, she led a women's chorus in, in Exodus 15. In 1 Samuel 10, there's an example of a men's chorus. I like that because I think sometimes in our culture we think uh, singing is for women. No, in the Bible it talks about Israel going to war and the men were singing. They were singing loudly. 1 Chronicles 13 and 15, it talks about them singing and it specifically says they sang loud. I, I know it's hard to sing right now with our, with our mask on, but, but God's bigger than a mask and you can sing and kind of I don't know if you're like me, when you try to sing out loud, it kind of goes back in your mouth and it's kind of gross, but hey, sing out to the Lord, amen. Well, when we keep looking in Nehemiah's day, it talks about a choir they had after they repented of their sins and, and rebuilt the wall. I'd like to know what those songs sounded like. Uh, Brother Greg, I, I can't find a chord chart from back in the ancient Egypt or anything. I can't find any music. I don't have a recording. I always wondered what it sounded like. In Passover... Guess what, what happened? They sang hymns all through history, even up into the day of Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, remember Paul and Silas, they were in jail. What does it say they did? They sang hymns. 1 Corinthians 14 says, sing with your spirit, sing with your mind. As uh, Chaplain Glenn Thompson already pointed out, countless times in the book of Psalms it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Revelation 5 talks about a new song. And then in Ephesians 5, it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. The word worship is used 24 times in the book of Revelation. When I look at this book in its entirety, and when we look at it together, what we'll notice is that the Apostle John, amidst all of those things that, quite honestly, I don't know what they all mean, but I do know one thing that he is telling that first century church who were being persecuted, a people who did not know if they were going to breathe their next breath because they were literally, many of them, being hunted down by the Roman emperor during this day. John was giving them encouragement that, hey, hang in there, God's on the throne. And when we look at Revelation 5, and you've already sang Revelation 4 together as a congregation, and then you listen to Revelation 4 read, at the end of the day, John rolls back the scroll, or rather, God rolls back the scroll, and we look in heaven, and we see a scene where in the midst of on earth, when all these crazy things are going on, God is telling his people, guess what? I'm still on the throne. I'm still in control. Now, 
When we look at this passage together, I think we're going to see some ways you and I can rehearse, or you could say it this way, you and I can train for the songs of eternity. Everybody who's a preacher here on earth, we're kind of going to be out of a job when we get to heaven. But when we all go to heaven together, we're going to continually sing this passage that Annalise already read for us. It says, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy. We're going to have opportunity to worship. Well, let's read Revelation chapter 5 together as we get ready to, to look at this passage. So listen, beginning in verse number 1. After that great picture of God depicted on the throne, John saw this. I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. I love that. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse number nine, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Amen. And we'll look at those other few verses I think later on in our passage. But as we look at how you and I can rehearse, how you and I can train for the songs of eternity, I want to share with you very simply three ways we can do that. Point number one is this. You and I, as we look at this scene of worship in heaven, one of the principles that you and I think can put into practice is number one, center your worship on Christ. Center your worship on Christ. John MacArthur said this about worship. He said, worship is the theme of scripture, the theme of eternity, the theme of redemptive history. To worship the true and living and glorious God is the purpose of all creation. You center your worship on Christ. As Revelation chapter 4 unfolds, John sees this picture of heaven and he sees God on his throne and they're saying he's holy, they're saying he's worthy. And then you jump into chapter 5 that we just read, and what do you find out? They're saying the same things about Jesus Christ. Our worship is to be Christ-centered. It draws on two titles of of Christ, doesn't it, in that chapter? If you look at verse uh, 5, it talks about he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but then in the very next verse, he's the lamb. He's the lion, he's the ruler, yet he's the lamb. It says, standing as if slain, In other words, it's a picture of Christ who has been crucified but who rose again. 
If you think back to the Old Testament in Genesis, it talks about Abraham telling Isaac, remember when God told him to sacrifice his son, what did Abraham tell Isaac? He said, God will provide the lamb. You remember that? And that lamb will be without blemish. Isaiah 53, remember that? It talks about the suffering servant. And it says of that suffering servant, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. I also think about John the Baptist when he saw Jesus in, in the Gospel of John. What does he say? He looks and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Our worship should be centered on Christ. That's why when we pray, when we preach, when we sing our songs, like the songs we sang this morning, there's no doubt who we're singing to. There's no doubt who we're singing about. We're focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember one time in church when I was a young uh, music minister, we, were, we used to have this thing called Fifth Sunday Night Singing. Looking back, it was sort of a Christian karaoke, you could say. Very, very laid-back atmosphere, and, and for some of you younger soldiers maybe, we had these things called tapes. It wasn't on digital, it wasn't on a CD, it was on a tape that you put in a tape player. And I remember as a music uh, minister remembering, you've got to make sure all those tapes are queued up, because what we did is we would ca- do a call out and say, anybody who wants to sing a song for church, they could come up and, and sing a song. Well, that would happen on Sunday nights, and I was probably about 22, 23 years old, and, and I wasn't smart enough to think about, let me listen to these songs before people get up here and sing. It came to, came to bite me a few times, and one of the times that was one of the most uh, humorous I remember is that we had a, we had a teenager's group of, of, uh, of young ladies, and great, great hearts meant well, and uh, they got up there to sing, and they put their tape in, and that tape hit play, and next thing I know, I hear the smile on your face lets me know that you need me. And the, end, the ending phrase is, you say it best when you say nothing at all. And it was like, we're singing that to the Lord. And, and I got a little talking to by the pastor. Hey, let, let's, let's vet that stuff a little bit and all that kind of stuff. No harm, no foul. You know, we learned and, and we drive on. But on a serious note, when we worship, we're worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no doubt who we are worshiping to. This modern-day idea in, in many circles of like, well, it doesn't really matter unless you're sincere. Well, according to the picture we see in heaven, those who are surrounding the very throne of God, there's no doubt who they're worshiping. For you and I, there needs to be no doubt our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I've already said, God didn't include a soundtrack with the Bible to hear what these songs sound like. As a, as a vocalist, as a musician, I always kind of, what did it sound like? What kind of style was it? I have no clue, but God did tell us what the focus of those songs were going to be. He points something out in here also under this idea of, of, the, of worshiping and centering on Christ, this idea of worthiness. Go back to Revelation chapter 4 and look with me at verse 11, the last Verse in chapter 4, what does he say about God? He says, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Because why? You created all things. By your will they existed and were created. Go to Revelation 5, verse 12. You're going to hear the same thing about Christ. Now he's saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Not only is God worthy, the Father, worthy is the Lamb. Why? To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory, and blessing. You, you may notice there's seven statements there about Jesus Christ. kind of coincides with a lot of the sevens in the book of Revelation. This lamb with seven eyes and, and seven horns. He has power. He has all, he's all-knowing. And he's worthy of all these things. Jesus Christ is worthy. One of the things that 
the Apostle John as he receives this revelation and he writes it down for God's people to see that he was dealing with was that the emperor of the time, the idea was he is Lord. The idea is that Rome rules the world and he's the top man. He, he's God, so to speak. John is reminding God's people that it doesn't matter who's in charge of what on this earth. The bottom line is Christ is Lord of all. So number one, center your worship on Christ. But point number two is this. Center your worship on the message of the gospel. Center your worship on the message of the gospel. And what I mean by that, by that is that we center our worship on the theme of salvation. Listen to this out of Psalm 40. This is out of the Old Testament. The psalmist said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set me on a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, another place says, a song of praise to our God. And then in another place it says, many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. If you and I are saved, the question is not, do we have a voice or, or can we sing? And by the way, God bless, I'm so thankful for all of our volunteers who are in the, in the praise and worship team, and I'll put in one blurb. You notice on the stage we stay six feet apart? I'll give you a hint. If you come on the worship team for half the service, you can stay six feet apart and you won't have to wear a mask. And we'll put you on a mic and let you sing. How about that? Let, just, just let us know. Talk, talk to me, Brother Greg. We'll be glad to, get, glad to plug you in. Amen. Well, the message is the gospel, but the point is this. It's irrelevant. It doesn't talk about we sing because we have some sort of talent or we worship God in church because God gave us some sort of gift. I know God does gift specific people with different gifts. We know that. But... The question is not, do you have a voice? The question is, do you have a song? And according to the scripture, if you and I have been saved, we do have a song. What that does, now watch this. When you see this pattern of worship in Revelation chapter 5, and their focus is on Christ and on the fact that he saved us, that guards us against this idea that we do something to earn our, our salvation, that, that we do something to just make ourselves better. There's a ton of self-help books out there. There's all kinds of relationship training and resiliency training, and there's a lot of good stuff out there. But if we're not careful, when it comes to our relationship with God, it's not that you and I can work enough to be right with God. It's not that if I come to enough worship services, I'm now magically right with God. It's no, I come to worship God. I gather, part of Chapel 101 is, is we meet together because God has saved me and he's brought me from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And as a result of that, I come gather in this place with God's people so that we can worship and say, praise the Lord who has saved me from my sin. And we do that together. One New Testament uh, scholar, Gordon Fee, he said, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. We sing about salvation. And it's interesting to me as I was looking through the scripture, and, and uh, Glenn mentioned a couple of scriptures about new song, and I shared a couple of scriptures about singing a new song. And it struck me, interesting, on the one hand, this passage says in Revelation 4 that the living creatures and the elders around the throne, it says, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. So on the one hand, you have these, uh, 
you have these elders and creatures around the throne constantly singing the same song. Then in the Old Testament, you have the psalmist time and time again saying, sing a new song. And then you have God's people in Revelation 5 talking about worshiping Christ, and it says, sing a new song. I don't think the new song is necessarily you and I have to have a, a new song all the time, per se. What it is, though, it is that every time you and I gather together, I believe, and every time we focus on the Lord and those same themes of Christ come up and his goodness and we sing about who he is and what he's done for us, it becomes a fresh and a new in our hearts. When I think about the newness of, 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 his, of his grace, I think about the psalm that says your mercies are new every morning. Even though every week we sing about salvation, even though every week we pray sometimes the same prayers, I hope and pray that like the pictures we see in the scripture, it becomes a fresh and a new in our life. We focus on the message of the gospel that Christ has saved us from our sins when we worship together. Point number three is this. We focus on Christ, we focus on the gospel, but the last one is this. Center your worship on the unveiling of the kingdom of God. Center your worship on the unveiling of the kingdom of God. Let me go back and read a verse. Let's read one together. Go back to verse number 10. And from here, I want to read the rest of the chapter there. It's only four or five verses. Look at verse 10. After he talks about redeeming people from all the nations, he says this. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11. We haven't read this yet. And then I looked. And I heard around the throne and living creatures and the elders, it says, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of men, myriads and thousands of thousands. One scholar said that's 100 million. I don't know. It's a lot. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Look at verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Now, I'm so glad that in recent days, the biblical word Amen has made it to national news. What an opportunity you and I have to remind everyone that if you look at this passage, what they are saying in the throne room of heaven is they are saying, I am in agreement with everything that is going on here. The Greek, you go back to the Hebrew, it is yes, amen, truly, let it be so. These four living creatures are watching the redeemed. These four living creatures are watching people who are saved worship Christ, and they're saying, that's right. That's what it's all about. And then it ends by saying the elders fell down and worshipped. This worship that we do week after week, and we focused, I know that worship can be our whole life, I hope and pray that our whole life is worship. We've kind of focused on worship in, in a more narrow sense, in the sense of our corporate worship. And we've looked at a picture of heaven where they're worshipping in heaven. It kind of carries the idea, it's part of it's vertical, and part of it's horizontal. What I mean by that is, our worship, as we've already said, is focused on God. It's focused on Christ. That's your vertical. But it's also focused on you and I worshiping together. That's the horizontal. 
Uh, you see the vertical all through Revelation chapter 4. Let me share it with you. When you read through what, uh, what we've already read, you, say, you see in Revelation chapter 4 that he's the king over all things. You see who he is in chapter 4. You see that he's worshipped by whoever these 24 elders and four living creatures are. You see that he's holy. In fact, it says it three times, just like in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. That means God is pure. He's set apart. In in chapter 4, it talks about him being creator. And in chapter 4, it talks about him being worthy. But if you look back at Revelation 5, verse 10, you'll see this idea of a kingdom, and you're going to see not just vertical, but horizontal, that is one another. In verse 10, it says about these people who are God's people, it says, you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Our corporate worship is is now essential. When you read through the book of Revelation, and you read about the seven bowls and the seven plagues and all all the stuff that, that... the Apostle John talks about, at the end of the book, you read about the marriage supper of the Lamb, where everybody's around the throne of God. The Apostle John is telling God's people in the first century, hang in there, God has everything under control. You have the Lord, but you also have one another. You and I live in a world that in many ways is all about power, isn't it? It's all about power, this this seductive power of of, 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 if we can just get the right leaders in place, if we can just do this, if we could just do that, if all my ideas were, were in power, everything would be okay. What would it be like if God's people took this one scene out of the throne room in heaven and you and I said, you know what? Yes, we're going to be a part of, part of everything in the world and we're going to do our part to make things better, but our main focus is going to be that there's a kingdom that is coming that is better than anything on this earth. Norman T. Wright put it this way. He said, in one sense, Christ has won. In one sense, Christ is winning. But in another real sense, Christ will win. The context of this passage is about who's in charge and who's power. The emperor Domitian, he insisted on this insignation on all his things. Dominus et Deus, that he is the Lord and God. John was reminding his people, there is no person, there is no entity on this earth that we worship. We only worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because his kingdom is coming. I like you, I love the United States of America, but there's going to come a day when the United States of America will be no more. Did you know that? Or any other nation for that matter. The kingdom that's depicted in this text is where everything is heading. What would it look like if you and I in our corporate worship and in our lives focused on the coming kingdom? Good night. When I look at Revelation 5 and I think about the race relations, challenges, and all the crazy things that's happened in our country and our world lately, what would it look like if God's people looked at this and said, you know what? There's going to be people from, how did John describe it? Every tribe, nation. John just kind of threw a bunch of words out there to kind of let you know there's going to be all people there and they're coming from all over the place, but their one focus is going to be this kingdom that is coming that is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've read the back of the book, folks, and we win. 
Think about some of, you, some of those movies that some of us like. How do we know that when we watch a James Bond movie, he's eventually going to get the bad guy? Get, he does it every time. He gets into all these shenanigans. He gets in trouble, but eventually he gets the bad guy. How did we know when it was all said and done? They kind of worried us through several movies, but the blockbuster Avengers movies. How do we finally know they were going to assemble? How do we know they're finally going to sort of figure things out? The, old, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, based on Tolkien's book, how do we know that Frodo was going to make that ring and get the ring in the fire? I can't remember all the details, but some of y'all know what I'm talking about. How, how do we know that was going to happen? Go back in my day, how do we know that Rocky's going to beat Clubber Lang in that boxing match or beat Ivan in, in, when, he, when it was the United States versus the Soviet Union? How do we know he was going to win? You know why? Because everything I just said is in the script. Guys, it's in the script. This passage is saying that God's kingdom is going to come. And when you and I worship together, we are doing a small portion of what we're going to get to do forever. And when it's all said and done, you and I are going to together worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has a kingdom coming that is going to make all things new. Jesus is Lord. He has won. He is winning. And he will win. As I was thinking about that this week, I thought about our training here in, on, on the island as a military. We're training all the time. I don't, I don't care if it's under, I don't care if you're under the 25th ID, user pack, what, whatever all the different entities we have here. We're training in many ways because we want to be ready for what the nation calls us to do, right? We don't know what the future holds about what the nation may have to call us to do. That's why we train all the time, right? That's why as a chaplain, I'm always praying, God, pray that you'd keep our people safe, keep us well-trained, and in many ways, may we never have to use some of this training that we're, ha that we're using, and may some of this be a deterrent to something happening that would be catastrophic. But because we don't know the future, we have to constantly train, we have to constantly be ready. Well, what if we looked at our worship that way? Except the only difference is, as we rehearse, as we train here for the songs of eternity, as we sing together as we hear scripture read together, as we worship with all of our hearts and soul and mind and strength. We don't have to wonder what the future holds because we've already seen it. When you go to the back of this book, Christ is going to win. So as we train here on earth for what we're going to be doing in heaven, may we train with the end in mind. Train knowing, worship here on earth, knowing that God's kingdom is going to win in the end. I pray that we can do that together. Our instrumentalists and our, um, our singers are going to come, and we'll sing together in just a moment. God bless you as we get an opportunity right now to practice and to worship together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we worship now, it's all rehearsal for that coming day. God, I thank you that you teach us how to worship. You give us a picture of, of what happens in heaven as they worship around your throne. God, we say to you, holy, 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 there's none like you. God, we focus our attention to Christ who has saved us and paid for our sins. God, we thank you that you've brought us into your kingdom. God, in the midst of our times of struggle, I pray that we would remember that you are still on the throne. God, I pray for those who are here who may be in difficult situations. I pray that this reminder from your word would give us that boost that would fill us with your Holy Spirit in such a way that we know, God, you have 
our backs. You are taking care of us, and God, in the end, you will win. May that help give us the strength to go on. God, as we worship you today, may we do so in spirit and truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.